Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 20. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You know, honestly, I got to admit, and I think they would too, People who stand in the pulpit and people who are in front of the people in this world, I'm probably going to be last in line at the potluck in heaven, which would be a sad thing. (laughs) Hmm. But see, why? Because, see, now what happens is I'm preaching the word and I'm doing what God has called me to do. And and, and I'm here and and, and this is where God has called me. And many of you come up and, oh, Pastor Rodney was such a blessing. And Chuck Smith, oh, you just blessed my life. And Billy Graham, oh, I got saved at your crusade. In many respects, I got to tell you, that's kind of our reward. I mean, prayerfully, not the extent of it, but, I mean, there's, there's, there's a piece of that, I think. You understand? The first shall be last. See, in, right now on the earth, the who's who is going to be the who's them in heaven. Amen, saints. The first shall be last, and there's going to be surprises. And that's the point of the parable. The parable is teaching us about God has this outrageous order of things. And he has outrageous grace. And he doesn't reward and bless men according to what they deserve, but because he loves them and he has called them. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to reward others in an unexpected way. That's the point of the parable in chapter 20. If you understand that, say amen. Now, which brings us to our second point. What does it mean? What does it mean? Notice, take note in your Bibles in verse one. Would you look at it again? The landowner went out early in the morning around 6 a.m. That's the start of the Jewish day. The Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. and it ends at 6 p.m. You know that. So notice the the, the landowner, he went out early in the morning around 6 a.m. in verse one. And he hired laborers and and agreed to pay them minimum wage. That would be a denarius, like a penny, actually, in verse 2. And then he went out at the third hour, which is 9 a.m., and he hired more. Did you see that in verse 3 and 4? And he told those guys, don't worry about the money. Whatever is fair, I'm going to pay you. And then in verse 5, he went out at the sixth hour. That would be 12 noon. I hope you're writing in your Bibles, 12 noon. And he hired more. And at the, and the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. And then in verse 6 in your Bibles, he went out, notice this, at the 11th hour in verse 6, which is 5 p.m. And because the day ends, as I said, at 6 p.m., there's only one hour left to work for those who were hired at 5 p.m. So the man went out and he hired at different times of the day. 
What does it mean? Well, some people say that this section is teaching salvation. And that some people come into the kingdom at different times and at different seasons in their lives. And that is true. Some people get saved in the dawn of their lives, 6 a.m., early in their lives. I've talked to people, and you know, I know the date that I got saved because I didn't get saved till I was 21 years old. And, and, and so I know that I got saved on January 23rd, 1982. But there are some people who don't know the day they got saved because they grew up in a Christian home and the Lord, you know, their families were wonderful and mom and dad sowed spiritual seeds. And, and, and you don't really remember some of you guys. I don't know. Is there one person here that don't that you don't remember when you got saved? OK, we all were heathens for a long time in life. OK. And uh, but which is most people <laughs> to tell you the truth. And, and, and so but there are people who, who don't know. When they got saved, because it was early in their lives when they became a Christian. And then some people get saved, if you will, in their teenage years, about the third hour. Lots of life ahead of them to serve the Lord. And then there are some people who get saved in midlife. That would be 12 noon. Just kind of midlife, they get saved. And then others come in the ninth hour at a time when much of life is behind them. And then some people get saved. Did you notice this? At the 11th hour. What is that? Theologians actually call this the 11th hour conversion. What is that? That is people who get saved, say, on their deathbed. Do you believe that? I believe that. I not only believe it, I know it to be a fact. Because I have led a couple people to the Lord, to tell you the truth, on their deathbed. And you want to talk about a beautiful, beautiful moment? When you're one brother, I held his hand. He received the Lord and then he went to Jesus. It was cool. It was a blessing for me. Probably more for him because he took his next breath in the presence of God. He was like, wow, man, I was in the ER and whoa, look at this place. I mean, just like that. Just like that. A deathbed conversion, the 11th hour conversion. They get saved. Hey, in the Bible, remember, I just thought of this, the thief on the cross. Remember, Lord, when you get to paradise, Lord, would you remember me? And he said, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's an 11th hour conversion. So in theory and in thought, and I think biblically, that concept is true and it is right. Although... I do not believe that this text is teaching that. I believe that this text, that Jesus is not talking about salvation, but Jesus is talking about service. Jesus is talking about those who are serving him and have a right attitude in serving him. And it's to those in service of him that he has the right to reward and to pay his servants according to their service through his sovereign grace. That's what I believe the text is pointing to. It was Warren Wiersbe. I I don't know if you know this particular author, but he's great. He wrote a book called Being a Servant. We have it in the bookstore if you're interested. Being a Servant, and it defines ministry. He defines ministry like this. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. 
divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the, to the glory of God. I, I love that. Service. Let me tell you something. In your Christian life, if you're not serving someone other than yourself, you're probably feeling pretty empty. Do you know God has saved us for a purpose? Do you know that God has saved us so that we could be a blessing to each other? If you knew that, say amen. That's why God is. God did not save us so that we could just be happy in our salvation and, and sit and twiddle our thumbs and wait to go to heaven. If that be the case, you know what? God could save you and take you to heaven right away. What, what, what's the point? You ever thought about that? What's the point of you still being here? What's the point? I mean, if heaven is so glorious... If heaven is so wonderful, if we can't all wait to get there, then then what, what then why you know then why don't we just get saved and then just go to heaven? I mean that would be the ideal thing. Then we don't have to go through trials and testings and all of these things that life has to bring us. Well, the reason is because God saved you for a purpose. Listen, God is listen. If you're not serving the Lord, listen to me. God has saved you for a purpose. God has more for you than you are allowing Him to work in and through you right now. And God wants to use you to bless the body. When you become a Christian, God gives you a gift the moment you become a Christian. First Corinthians chapter 12, go read that in your own time. He gives you a gift. The day you become a Christian, he gives you a gift. And when he's given you a gift, he expects you to use that gift to bless other people and not use that gift to bless yourself or to bring glory to yourself. But to be a blessing to people, I got to read you this story. It was of a man who spoke with the Lord about going to heaven and hell. And the Lord said to him, come and I will show you hell. Well, they entered a room where a group of people sat around a huge pot of stew. Everyone was famished, desperate and starving. Each held a spoon that reached the pot, but each spoon had a handle so much longer than their own arm that it could not be used to get the stew in their own mouths. Well, the suffering was terrible. Well, the Lord said, come now, I'll show you what heaven is like. And so they entered another room identical to the first, the pot of stew, the group of people, the same long handled spoon. But there everyone was happy and well nourished. Well, I don't understand, said the man. Why are the happy people here and miserable people in the other room and everything is the same? And the Lord smiled and said, it's simple. Here they have learned to feed each other. You understand? So I use my spoon to feed you. You use your spoon to what? Feed me. And now we're a blessing to each other. But conversely, if I try to use my spoon to feed me, it's too long. I can't get fed. God has saved you for a purpose. Amen, saints. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you're not blessing other people and trying to bless yourself, that's why you're starving and you're hungry. What is it that you do? What is it you love to do? What gift has God given you? That's what he wants you to use for his glory. And I believe that when you use that spoon or that gift to serve other people, then you get a glimpse of heaven. And then our final point this morning, number three, how does this parable apply to us today? In application, let me give you several warnings, things that we can learn not to do. You know, the Bible is good about telling you what to do. But you can also learn a lot about what not to do 
as you study the scriptures as well. So let me just give you some some points, some things of what not to do that we can learn from this parable. Number one, if you're taking notes, don't be overconfident. Did you see that in verse 10? The guys who came to work early in the day thought they should receive more than the guys who showed up later. I mean, get the scene. They all line up, all the workers, and and at the end, beginning with the last person, they line up. Starting with the last person, beginning with that person that was hired at the 11th hour or 5 o'clock. And when it was time to get paid, they got paid, that person that came to work at the 11th hour, they got paid the same as everyone else. They got paid a denarius. And the guys who had worked all day probably started counting their fingers. And they're probably looking at the guy who started at the 11th hour. And they got a denarius. And the guys who came 6 o'clock in the morning, they're probably thinking, man, mm, if they got a denarius and they just got here an hour ago, how much am I going to get? By the time they get to me, I'm probably going to get a denarius per hour. You know how you do when you're counting on that check. Before it gets there, you know, so they're kind of doing that. So they're just standing in line and they're watching each person get paid. And, you know, the guy's walking by and, you know, he gives this guy Daenerys and he continues to walk down the line. He pays everyone. He pays the guy who worked an hour, two hours, three hours. All of them got the same. And then finally they got to the guys who started at six in the morning and they put their hand out and they got a Daenerys like everyone else. And they're thinking, Surely this must be a mistake. Has that ever happened to you? You you expect a check to be one size. I, I, I couldn't help this. I couldn't see this. I can see this here. You, you're expecting a check and you expect it to be one dollar amount and you get it and it's like a dollar sixty nine. And you're like, oh, surely this must be a mistake. I got to call a company. You know what I mean? I, there's got to be a mistake. Well, these guys are saying, wait, they're probably thinking, you know, surely there must be something wrong. And then in verse 11, look in your Bibles, it says they complained against the boss. And they said, these guys worked an hour and you paid them the same as us. That's not fair. You see, you got to be mindful of don't become overconfident. Don't be overconfident like these guys. They thought they should have gotten more. And the foreman owes them something, so they thought. And how often do we Christians have the idea that God owes us something? How often do we think that we deserve more? I've had people come in my office and say, Pastor Rodney, you know, I've been praying, I've been tithing, I've been reading the Bible, and I've even come here and endured your sermons every single Sunday. And God owes me. People have said something like that. And, you know, honestly, you know, guys, let me tell you something. God doesn't owe you one red cent. Oh, that's harsh. No, God doesn't owe you a thing. God owes you nothing. God is not in any way, shape, or form obligated to bless you. The truth is, if God gave you what you deserve, then we all be in hell right now. I'm just trying to encourage a spirit, brothers and sisters. We'd all be in hell right now. God cannot and will not owe you anything. God blesses you in spite of you, not because of you. Amen, saints? And that's important to understand. Here's a word of wisdom. Don't ever pray, God, give me what I deserve. If you understand that, say amen. You don't want to pray that. I tell you what, you pray that and let me know when you're praying so I can get very far away from you. Because there might be a bolt of lightning coming like, boom! 
you know, like those cartoons and you just turn into crispy, you know, and then you, you're gone. That's what you deserve. Don't pray, God, give me what I deserve. You want God to give you outrageous grace. I should have titled this sermon outrageous grace because that's what we get. God is over and over and over and over again just giving us grace, 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 grace. Lord, I've sinned and God gives us grace. Lord, I've wronged you and God gives us grace. Lord, I've wronged my brother and my sister and I've done this wrong and I've done that wrong. And God gives to us outrageous grace, not just grace. It is outrageous. You know why I say it's outrageous? Because I don't understand it. People, I understand the grace of God. Well, I'm glad you do because I don't. I don't. I don't understand God's grace because I'm not like God. You see, somebody wrongs me. I, I you know, I want to destroy them. I want to burn them up. I want to obliterate them. Well, we wrong God. And what does he do? He blesses us. You see, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And that's why I call it outrageous grace. It's unbelievable. And so we serve God. And don't get overconfident expecting God to give you something or to do something for you. And then here's something else we can learn. Don't put your eyes on other people. (laughs) Say amen, saints. (laughs) Don't put your eyes. Notice this in your Bibles. The laborers who had been working all day long took their eyes off the master and what they were supposed to be doing. And they put their eyes on other servants. And boy, is that a sermon in itself. How often do we do that? In the church, well, God, how come you're blessing them? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, somebody calls you up. Man, I just, you know, my car broke down, bro, and, you know, I don't have any money. I can't fix it, and, you know, I just, I don't know. And you say, oh, brother, just, you know, trust the Lord. You know, God's going to bless you, and he'll do for others what he'll do for you and you give them all the Christian lines and you know okay God bless you and you pray for him and you know weep with those who weep but it's kind of hard to rejoice with those who rejoice and they call you back the next day oh man you will not believe it God bless me with a Lexus a brand spanking new Lexus and you're on the phone really <laughs> well Lord bless you <laughs> hallelujah God is good to you. <laughs> Goodbye. You see, it's hard. Isn't it? Isn't it? Come on, y'all in church, tell the truth. You know. It's hard. Somebody's weeping. You're like, oh, man, I'm sorry for you, man. The Lord will do for others what he did for you, and he'll do for you what he did for others, and you got all this stuff. And you feel weeping, but when they rejoice, it's harder to rejoice with people. Why? You got to keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, God's teaching me at nine years of ministry. You got to keep your eyes on the Lord. God will bless you. God will take care of you. God will provide for you. Don't be looking at what somebody else got paid. Because, you know, do you take your eyes off of what God is doing and you're going to miss what, what, what God wants to do in your life? Because you're looking at somebody else. You know, I had to learn that really very real lesson just about a week ago. You know, I'm driving on the 440. And this guy comes driving, you know, onto the 440 off the, you know, the arm ramp. And, and he's driving and he's driving like a maniac. I mean, this guy is driving like he must have been drunk or something. I'm thinking it's the holidays. He must be drinking. So he's driving like a maniac, weaving all over the place. And, and you know, I'm upset. 
And I'm watching this guy. I got my eye on him. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. You know, I'm, I'm just upset. And while I'm watching him thinking, what an idiot, I was running off into another lane. And I almost killed somebody looking at somebody else. And of course, this person, I'm like, I'm like, what an idiot, what an idiot, what an idiot. And the guy's like this there, and then, you know, he's like, bleh, bleh, bleh. and of course, he drives by me and gives me the look. You know, when you, you know, when you did something stupid, you know, and the other person, they drive by and they give you that look like. And now he's looking at me like I'm an idiot. And of course, I'm trying not to pay attention because I know I'm an idiot now because I was looking at the idiot. Just life. I mean, you know, you life, life. You got to keep your eyes on what God is doing in your life, saints. Amen. That's important because you're looking at somebody else. Oh, how come God bless them with a brand new Lexus? What about me? I'm driving a pacer. (laughs) What about me? Keep your eyes on what God is doing and don't get upset when God is blessing somebody else. And don't be thinking you're more spiritual or you're the bigger servant. And You know, God, you know, I serve you all the time. And, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. They've been a Christian for a month and they don't serve you like I do. And I've been serving in the nursery and changing them stinking diapers forever. Oh, in the Jesus name, I've been doing all that for you. And you bless them. See, that's how we think. And I realize that, you know, we're not supposed to talk about these kind of things that go on deep down in the heart. But this is the truth. You see? And then another thing we can learn. Here's something big. Don't bargain with God in verse 13. You see that in verse 13? When the foreman answered the ones who were complaining, he said, friend, I haven't done anything wrong. We agreed on a salary that you would make. Take your money and go your way. I mean, think about that. They said, how much am I going to make? And he says, don't worry about it. Whatever's fair, I'll pay you later. And that's the good thing about serving the Lord. He's always fair. Amen, saints? You don't have to bargain with God and you don't have to work out an agreement. Just go. And then here's something else. Finally, we can learn. Don't ever think it's too late to start serving the Lord. Did you notice? Did you notice? You you, you know, this guy who came at five o'clock, the guys who came at five o'clock, that's the 11th hour. It is never too late to serve the Lord. You might say, Rodney, you know what? I'm old now. I'm 30. I'm old. I used to think 30 was over the hill. Then when I turned 30, I thought 40 was like done. And then when you get 40, you think, oh, man, when I'm 50, it's over. And now, you know, 70 or 80, it looks like I got a lot of life ahead of me. I mean, shoot, I'm 40 years old. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of life ahead of me. But don't ever think that it's too late. You might be a five o'clock Christian in your lifespan. You might be 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, but it's never too late to start serving the Lord. The truth is, if you're five o'clock and you show up with your tools in hand, God says, come on and serve me. Come on and labor in the vineyard. You see, God says that. I love that when I meet people who are five o'clock. You guys know what I mean by five o'clock? Okay, 11 o'clock, you got one hour to serve. Remember the life, the 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And you're 5 o'clock, and you only got one more hour. You're late in your life. I love to meet people when they're late in their life, and they say, you know what, I'm going to go become a missionary. 
and go do what God's called me to do and be blessed. It's never too late. You know, in the military, they got a cutoff date. If you, you know, if you, if you are a certain age, you can't come in the military. And your job, you know, when you start getting older, maybe something, this has happened to some of you. You start getting up there in years, it's too late. You're gone. You, you know, we need some young guys that we can pay minimum wage to do the same thing you were doing. And when they get four of those guys and you were doing a job of four people, but, oh, we got to get rid of you because, you know, you're too old. It's too late. That's not so in the kingdom. Amen, saints. And that's good news. And then notice Jesus ends, and I'll end, with many are called, but few. Look at verse 16. Many are called, but few are chosen. It was D.L. Moody who translated this verse. Many are called, but few are choice. You see, there's a lot of people who are called to serve the Lord, but there are few people who are choice. Few people who will come and serve Jesus with the right motive and the right heart. They're few. Now, I've heard all kinds of interpretations of that one line. But keep it in context. We're talking about service. Many are called, but few are going to serve the Lord with the right attitude and with the right heart. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.